0: So in that, in that theme of rescuing and redemption, we are in the book of Exodus. Second book in the Bible, we've been journeying through. We uh, landed at the plagues that God used to judge Egypt and that he is going to use to deliver his children of Israel. And so last week, we dove into book uh, chapter 7 through 10, and we covered the first half of those plagues. Out of the 10 plagues, we're covering 5 through 9 over the course of two weeks, and we landed, uh, ended uh, at the fourth plague. We're going to be talking through the fifth through the ninth plagues and what God teaches us this morning about those things. Uh, But again, this whole series, we've said these two things. I never want these to get old. And so that's why we continue to put them before you. These two points kind of run through our theme in Exodus, that God is working a good plan built on his promises. Number two, that that plan rarely plays out like we think it's going to. I think all of us relate to that, understand that. And so when we come to the book of Exodus, do know that God is faithful. He is redeemer. He is a rescuer. That doesn't always look the way that you want it, that I want it, and it's different than we see in what God's doing, but he is a God of great promise. And so with that, we have a ton of Bible text today. I'm going to try and get us out of here before the snow falls, and that starts at 7 p.m. So we have some time together. But chapter 8, I'm going to read the text, right, the bridging text, if you will, between the fourth plague and the fifth plague, and then we'll cover most of the text. I want to let this text speak, and so you know what this story is doing, this account, and we'll just let, let God dictate what, what we all hear this morning, as he always does in his faithful way. Exodus 8:25 through 32, this is what is happening here. This interaction between Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron it says, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to, the sac- to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from the servants and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. We know that Pharaoh has been back and forth, lying, cheating the people, saying, I'll let you go. And you're going to see this, especially today, this progression of his heart and attitude. With that, I want to just invite you to pray, and then we will spend our time this morning in God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word, that all of it points us to Jesus, and Father, all of it points us to our need for him as a savior, and even as we look at Pharaoh this morning and these plagues, which is our sign of judgment on the people of Egypt, Father, your judgment is profound and complete against sin, and Father, sin needs to be paid for, and Father, we celebrate today because we gather around the gospel message that Jesus Christ came to pay for that sin, and we can know him by faith and be free from that sin and trust you as a God of redemption. So Father, I just pray that you would speak to us clearly through your word, that my words would not be mine, they'd be yours, and that Father, we would grow closer in our relationship with Christ and the one who doesn't know you, that they would know Jesus Christ in salvation today. We pray these things in his name and all God's people said. So use this bridge text between the fourth and fifth plague. And what you'll start to see is that Pharaoh is starting to barter with God in these ways. He's not really weakening in his decision. But as the, set, as the story goes, you'll see he starts to play this game with Moses and Aaron about what God has said. And he starts making deals with God, if you will. And the background of that, you have to know that God has told Moses and Aaron one specific thing. This is what you are to tell Pharaoh. And I say that because it's important. When God tells us through his word to do one specific thing in all the commandments, he says it his way. Some of us come to the Bible. We don't understand why does God do it this way? Why does God ask me to do it this way? Why does God want me to do it this way? And we kind of start to just like form this relationship, bartering agreement with God. God, maybe like if I just do this. And God is very clear through his word, very specific in all his ways and all his commandments. And he's given Moses and Aaron his very word to take to Pharaoh. And you'll see what Pharaoh's doing with it now. Like us at times, he starts to dig his heels in, in his own heart sinfulness in the stubbornness of his sin. You and I get this, don't we? When there's something that we know God wants us to do, sometimes we dig our heels in and we start making deals with God. We convince ourselves that God will somehow, if we do a portion of what he's asked us, to do, asked us to do, that will somehow satisfy him. We know we're not being fully obedient to his word, but but like maybe if we just give a little bit. And so what Pharaoh's doing here is he's holding on and he's digging his heels in like you and I. Well, maybe like God, I will give you this part of my heart, but I won't give you this part of my heart. God, I want to follow you and I want to do what's right, but I don't know if I want to give up my dream or my aspiration or my career or whatever that might be. I don't really want to submit in all the ways, God. I don't know if I really want to serve you that way. I could just serve you in the safety of my own comfort zone. Funny that Doug talked about his comfort zone. We asked him to do that, and he's terrified by getting up here in front of you. But he says, I want people to go to no regrets. What better than for him to be stretched in his faith? And then we get to our sin and sinfulness, the thing that you and I put our hand to, And the pleasures that we go after, the thing that Satan tempts us with, and we say, God, like, I don't know if I want you to control that area of my life. And so I would ask you this question. How are you doing that right now? Are you digging your heels in on something? What area of your life have you not given completely over to God Now, I believe that God will use any means necessary. When I read the book of Exodus, I I really think that. Now, this is a judgment on the people of Egypt, but we've already said that they are like us, sinful. And I believe that God will use any means necessary in the life of a believer to get our attention. Sometimes that's through discomfort of judgment and discipline. For the Egyptians, it was certainly the judgment for their sin and sinfulness. And God was using these things. We read verse 16 in chapter 9, that he said to Pharaoh, I'm using this so people would know that I am the Lord God. And he's using it to deliver his people. But we know as believers, the process is sometimes really slow. Sometimes we who know Jesus dig our heels in with God. And I think this is what God does. I think he does things in our life to graciously, and I say that, graciously loosen our grip on the things of this world. And that's unique for everybody. That's unique for everybody. Does that mean that He sends hard things into our life as a form of judgment? I think sometimes. Sometimes we make missteps and dig our heels in, in certain things, and God sends the consequence for that. And then sometimes, as we said last week, not all things are by our own doing, but rather God brings things in because He still wants to graciously loosen our grip. On the things of this world. He wants us to know him, and he will choose how that comes about. That's number two, right? It's not how we thought it would be. The plan might look a little different, and so just like in this text, he does some things, and some things he does with warning. We saw with the plagues, some things in the plagues, in those sets of three, he warned them about Moses came and said, hey, do this, let the people go, if not this, and then sometimes God did things without warning in the plagues, out of three of those. And some of us ignorantly at times don't heed God's word and then experience discipline because it's about what? Complete surrender. God is saying in the book of Exodus, no one competes with me. He's saying through the whole of scriptures, no one ought to compete with me for anything. He is the only God to worship and he wants us to worship him fully. And so what I think he does is by his grace, he kind of peels our fingers back from the things of this world. And if you know him, you know what I'm talking about. He disciplines us for a good, and he kind of loosens the dirt around our feet with some very uncomfortable things at times because he doesn't want us to dig our heels in. He knows what's best for us, and he knows that our sin will always lead us into these things, and which we'll see in the text today, into complete darkness and death. And so the goal is that we worship him fully, Now, it's interesting, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but if you're like me, you read the plagues and you read, and last week I had much feedback on this, that every one of those plagues, which we'll look at again today, correlated with an Egyptian false god or a god they worshipped. And people said, I had no idea. But that's we look at them and we look at the, the people of Israel or Egypt rather, and we say, that's absurd that they would worship false gods other than the one true God. Did you hear me just say that? We look at them and say, that's absurd. But are we much different from them? In the gods of our health, in the gods of our worship of the dollar, of technology, all these things. You and I worship false gods all the time. And so that's what we said last week. We're not much different than them. And yet God comes in and through these plagues he demonstrates to them where their weakness is in their worship of this false god. And so we're going to move through five, six, seven, eight, nine. the, the plague of the livestock, the livestock, the boils, the hail, the locusts, darkness. It's all, like I said last week, it's all bad stuff coming. And God does it patiently, and he's doing it to build, and all of them kind of mean something as we're going. So I want to let the text do its work here, and I'll kind of breeze through this. When you get to number 5, the fifth plague, rather, you find that in chapter 9, and it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. This is the thing. Pharaoh's heard it several times. It's one specific way. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that in the fields. The horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. We said that last week. He protects them. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did the thing, promises. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. Now, as I said last week, each one correlates with an Egyptian god. This one, Hathor, was the goddess of love and protection depicted, as I said about the frog goddess, with the head of a cow. Beautiful, right? Why would you worship these things? But again, we are just as foolish in our idolatry. And this plague is given with an advance, with an advance warning, allowing time again for repentance. And it was one that protected the children of Israel. So that distinction was made. But God intentionally goes after their livestock here because it affects their economic status. It's disaster. And it's not just economy. So you look at what God is doing with this. He's not just going after their economy. He's going after their transportation too. Their farming, their military. He says your way of life because of your hardness of heart is going to be affected by this. And this was the field livestock. It says horses, donkeys, camels, herds, flocks. But it doesn't specify. And it might not be, and I say this because we'll come up later, it might not be all of the animals. So some of you have been paying attention. You're looking ahead like, well, there's going to be animals affected later. Did God wipe out all the animals here? Most likely, he didn't wipe out all the animals here. But Israel is protected. And God says to them, if you want to be be digging your heels in, This form of judgment will come on you in this way and it will start to affect other parts of your life. And so it builds, especially the next one, the sixth plague. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, you find this in verse eight through 12, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses, and I wanna see what he's doing here. Lord God said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils, breaking out in the sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them. As the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now, you might wonder why that part is in there about the magicians, and we'll get to that. I'm glad you wondered about that because the God of Egypt, the false God, little g, that God was addressing here, was Isis, and not the terrorist cell Isis, but the same spelling, was the Egyptian goddess of magic, healing, medicine, and protection and peace. So interesting, god, again, God knows they're false gods. And so in their worship of this god of magic and protection and medicine, this is the first of the plagues that starts to affect them physically. And it says the magicians can't stand. And here's the most interesting part about this. You know, the Egyptian structure of gods and goddesses had daughters and siblings. They were all interlinked. And so th- this god, Isis, this goddess was actually the daughter, if you remember the god Geb last week, was the earth god. And I say that because it's important. That particular plague was licked with the gnats from the dust of the earth. And the mother in that Egyptian false god system, which is one we'll look at today, which the name is just funny because it's N-U-T, nut. Like every time I read it, I go, yeah, this is nuts that this happened. But that was the goddess of the next plate from the sky, which is the God of hail. And so the daughter of that is this daughter of this goddess of magic, healing, protection, and peace. And it links like there's this familial attitude of dust. And he says, Moses, take the, the soot from the kiln. Now, do you remember how this whole oppression thing started? Like what really ramped up? What happened in the life of the Egyptians and the life of the Israelites that started God's judgment on them? What was Pharaoh doing to them? He was keeping them as slaves, right? And he needed them to do what? He needed them to build and he needed them to make what? And then he said, you know what? I'm so angry. You need to make bricks without straw now. And it's interesting because God in this particular plague tells Moses, I want you to go back to where all this started. I want you to take soot from the kiln. Isn't it fascinating how God does these things? He says, from this this very moment of their oppression, I will show Pharaoh, take that soot, throw it in the air, it'll become dust and the land boils on everybody. God in his wisdom and faithfulness is doing multiple things here. He's addressing their false God and he's saying, yeah, you worship the God of the dust of the earth. I'll take the dust and the soot of all this, these kilns, and we'll throw it in the air. And that is going to land on you. The first of the plagues, that starts to be physically affecting. And this one is unannounced. God doesn't even warn them. The severity of the judgment is now very personal to afflict physical pain. Moses takes the soot from the kiln and he throws it. And what's interesting is the magicians are mentioned that they can't even stand. You see, cleanliness was paramount in Egyptian culture much like it was in Levitical law that's coming for the children of Israel. And ultimately it would be this idea that this uncleanliness from the boils have now affected culture and these plague essentially this plague pronounces people unclean in their culture. Their god of magic fails. And the only ones now standing before Pharaoh are Aaron and Moses. When you and I dig our heels in, God often brings judgment to get our attention And on. This one in Pharaoh's way, he says, this false God that you worship, I'm going to dismantle and show you that this is no God at all, which leads to the seventh plague, the plague of hail. It says it this way, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put on my put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence that you would have been cut off from the earth. We asked that last week. God's being very patient in this process. Although it seems like dragging on, he's allowing people a chance to repent. I lost my place. I'm going to get it back. But There you go. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. You are still, my translation, digging your heels in. Now therefore, well, behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as had never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them." So, God made a provision. Like, if you listen, if you don't want this to happen to you, you need to go bring them inside. Then, whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, these are Egyptians here, hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So, this is the Egyptian God of the sky, hail and thunder, nut. N-U-T. And this is nuts. Killing plants and trees and animals and anyone who decided they wanted to stay out in the rain. And I say it like that because you and I often decide, you know what, God, I don't really care what you say. And you look at this and it's nonsense for us to look. It is nuts that we look at this story and be like, are they serious? Like the gnats, like, like all these plagues, the livestock are all killed. Moses takes a soot, and now their arms and their bodies are covered with boils, and God goes back, and, and "And again, if you're not paying attention, maybe you're thinking, well, maybe there was just one Egyptian that was just like not really understanding what was happening. You have to think like a bunch of bad, I'm sure the word got around, don't you? Like all these bad things are happening, boils just appear all over your body, and now these people are like, you know what, God, I don't really, I don't really know if I care what you say. And you and I read that and we say, man, they're really just, that's super dumb. Why would you just get in the house? And you and I do it all the time. You and I look at God and we say, you know what, God, I don't know if I really care what you say. Yeah, you tell me to to take care of my resources this way and to give myself wholly to you. But, you know, I don't really want to do that. I know you want me to be just like going out and being a part of the church and bearing with one another and then going and taking the mission of the gospel of the world. I don't know if I really want to do that. I know that you want me to care for my resources this way and like like give to you graciously and generously, but I don't know if I really want to do it that way. And this is what God says. He says, I want you to do it this way and sometimes you and I just don't listen. Now that note about the livestock you'll see here That you might have been paying attention that, like, now people are bringing their livestock into their. Homes, well, didn't God just wipe them all out? That's why I say sometimes when the Bible says all, it might mean all kinds. It might not mean all of the animals at once. And I don't think this is a contradiction. It maybe was, and there was also this like time between the plagues. We don't know how much. So did they get extra animals? Did they steal some from the children of Israel? I don't know all of that. Maybe the servants of Pharaoh's livestock were the only ones affected, and then maybe maybe goats were spared. It wasn't mentioned. We don't know. I know the Bible doesn't contradict itself. We just can't say all because now there's people or there's livestock rather that are being affected by this plague. But it's interesting that after this plague, that was a little side note, after this plague, we see the progression of Pharaoh's heart. Watch what he does in this. This is the man whose heart is being hard. He does this in verse 27 of chapter 9. He says it this way. Then Pharaoh sent, because he doesn't like this hail business. He's seeing everything be diminished. And called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is right. And I and my people are wrong. Stop there. It's at this point you're thinking it's gonna go pretty well, right? Like he knows what he's doing. Now you and I know the end of the story, so we know it's coming, but he's like, I've sinned. This is the first time Pharaoh has acknowledged his sin, and he says, The Lord is right, I'm wrong. Verse 28 plead with the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall say no longer. Pharaoh essentially acknowledged his sin. What is up with this? I'll tell you what's up with this. He doesn't want judgment anymore. He doesn't want to be punished for his sin anymore. But God knows full well that his heart doesn't really care about him. You and I, at moments, I think I can relate to you in this because I've done it myself, when we sin, now by the blood of Christ, our sin is covered if you know him truly, and, our, and our, we've, it's been paid for, but you and I sometimes go to God and say, I'm sorry, like I messed up again. And what we really are doing is, God, I don't want to suffer any more consequences, but I still kind of want to dig my heels in and not really do all that you want me to do. And Pharaoh's doing that very thing. He's saying, God, yeah, I, like everybody sins. Like, we are all guilty, true, but the attitude of your heart is not really repentant. And you see that. And so Moses, knowing that he's not genuine, listen to his response in verse 29. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out to the city, I will stretch out my hand to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. So Moses responds, right? Like, okay, we'll stop the thunder. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. Moses isn't foolish. He's asking to be relieved from the judgment, but he knows his heart is not truly repentant. Digging his heels in, and so Moses' heart, or Pharaoh's heart is exposed. If you skip down to verse 34, but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants, so that the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses, which led him to the eighth plague, the locusts. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, and I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, that what signs I have done among them, so that they may know that I am Lord. Now, the locusts are going to come, these plagues of locusts everywhere, and Seth is the Egyptian god of storms and disaster. And this one is rare because, as I just read, it now has generational impact. Everyone's going to know about the locusts here. Your sons, their sons, everyone. And these locusts are going to cover the earth and they're going to eat and destroy everything that the hail didn't get to. I can't even fathom that. Everything that they didn't get to, these are going to come and destroy. And it's because of this severity now. Watch what happens in this text. That's why I want to just read this story and let it do its thing. These people start to turn on them. If you skip down to verse 7, Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Here is a great lesson for us about the wisdom of others. And here's what I mean by that. When you are digging your heels in, when I am digging your heels in, my heels in, and others come around us and say, hey, like, I don't know, like, I think your life's starting to derail. I think you're headed down a bad path. You and I often don't like accountability, and I get that. But I'll tell you what happens when you remove yourself from accountability. All kinds of disaster. And here the people now are saying, Pharaoh, come on, man. Like, everything is ruined. And the application for us there is sometimes people who love us come around us and challenge us with really hard things and are concerned for us and say, hey, I think you're, like, in a bad spot. And you in your pridefulness sometimes go, I'm fine. And it's the goal of bringing people back to restoration, as the scriptures say. Like, go and win that brother back. And some of us still dig our heels in. Pharaoh wants to barter again. Okay, he says, you can go, but you can't take your kids. Every parent's not going to buy that one anyway. Still trying to make a deal, and he doesn't relent. And, and God then unleashes judgment again. When you get, by the time you get to verse 16, it says, Pharaoh hastily called Moses and says, I have sinned. He's acknowledging it again, right? Against the Lord your God and against you, but it's still a hard heart. He wants the judgment to stop, but he doesn't really want his life to change. It is at this point that God administers the ninth plague of darkness. I'll read about that. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven. This is verse 21, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had, had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. This is what I was saying. You won't let them take your the kids. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind, still bartering. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burn offerings that we might sacrifice to the Lord. He's, Moses essentially said, Our livestock also must go. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on that day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Pharaoh dug his heels in completely. Now, if you've ever been there, you know the Cave of the Mounds, right? It's not far from us in the Mount Horeb, Dodgeville area, and I remember going there on the field trip, and they bring you into these caves, and of course, it, I. I I'm going to like digress a little bit here. I remember when we took Michaela on that field trip I Chaperone, and we're in this cave, and the, the tour guide sends you around. And this is like a, a different part of this story, but she's like, now millions and billions of years ago, and they did the whole thing. This is hilarious because Michaela was in there in the cave, and this lady's talking about millions, and she looks at me, and she goes... I was just like, all right, she knows the Bible, the timeline, that's awesome. But they do this thing, and they, they turn off all the lights, all the, the, the flashlights and all the lights that they have in there, and it's, they, they ask you, like, you're going to experience complete darkness. And I got to tell you, if you've never been in that situation, like no moonlight, nothing, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And so God says, I'm going to put darkness on the whole land, and it will be felt. No one's getting up. You're not going anywhere. This isn't like, you know, what when, when you get up in and it's really dark, but you kind of got some ambient light coming from different places. This is none of that. This is complete and utter darkness to be felt. And God says this is what sin produces all the time. Now, what's most fascinating about this complete blackout, the weight of the sin in judgment, is this is the one that you might have heard of, the sun god, Ra. So if you've seen Night at the Museum and you know like that stuff, this is like this. all you need to know about this. They worshipped the sun god, Ra. In Egyptian culture, this was the god other than Pharaoh himself that they worshipped the most. The sun god, Ra, worshipped by more than any other god other than Pharaoh. Their god here giving them no light at all. Representative only of death and judgment and hopelessness. Isn't this fascinating that God says right before the plague of death, this is representative of death. We see the darkness. But we know that the next plague, the plague of death is coming and their false God who they worship, this God of light, produces no light at all. Can you imagine the heartache when you realize that in your sinfulness? That this very thing that I went after above God and gave my life to. And I have to think, the Egyptians sat there, where is our God Ra? And God essentially says that's how it's always going to be when you choose other things over me. It's going to produce complete darkness and hopelessness. Now you saw the three days reference there. If you were catching that, you were tracking just rightly the three days corresponding to the days the cross is foreshadowed there when darkness fell on the land in judgment when Christ was put on the cross. Sin has a consequence that it needs to be paid for. And darkness represents those things, but the last plague would actually be death and judgment and hopelessness. And so when Pharaoh makes this last-ditch effort, bartering once again, showing the true nature of his heart, saying, all right, I, I concede. Stop it all. You can go. You just, just you have to leave your herds and flocks because he's hanging on here to dear life. This is like the only thing left in our economy for us to ever survive. We need something to rebuild and start with and Moses says no like this is not what god says it must be done one way and only one way the way god says and he has to like leave essentially and he says all right he digs his heels in for the last time and he says then i'll never see your face again cuz moses knows what god is going to do here which is my only point today is this you can dig your heels in and stand in your sin or you can hit the floor with your face in humble worship. It's only going to work one way in our lives. And you and I need to realize that when we choose things of this world above God, when we give our heart to other things, it's always going to end in darkness and death. And you and I can dig our heels in on that, and we can stand in our sin, as Psalm one says, to stand in our sin, sit in the seat of scoffers, stand in the way of sinners, Or we can hit the floor with our face in humble worship, throwing ourselves at the cross again. You and I don't need to know all the reasons that God does all the things he does the way he does. You simply can't barter with him. You can't do it halfway. It will only lead to judgment. It's the complete surrender and fear of God at the cross that saves us not our ability to rely on our own desire, not our ability to think we can do things halfway and that God will somehow meet us in the middle. He says, if you choose any other God above me, it's always gonna end in darkness. You and I, at times in our life, we think we're smarter than that. And if we're just honest right now, we admit it. Yeah, I do that. I try to like get around God's rule. And I try to, and again, I try to like then, and you can see the progression of his heart, like, and then I try to go back to God, and God is gracious. I already started there. He's gracious, but we try to get around it by saying, like, ah, like, well, we all mess up, and it's just this attitude that sometimes do we really acknowledge their sinfulness before God, and then say, I really want you to change my heart. That's all God has been after, and I said he was gracious, because he is, and what you see here is he's very patient. And what we can learn here is with you and I, because of Jesus Christ and his provision of this, he takes us and he's very slow in his process of loosening our grip on the world. And he's gracious. And he does it because he says, I know what's best for you. I love you. I want to loosen the dirt around your heels because you, by your own nature, are going to always dig in And so sometimes we don't see discipline and judgment as an act of God's grace, but we ought to because it brings us to him again. Remember, these people who are being protected and rescued are the same ones. Listen, these people who are being taken out of Egypt, the Israelites, are the same ones that chapters later are going to be worshiping what? A golden calf. These same ones that saw all the judgment on, on all the false gods are going to be found later burning all their gold jewelry and worshiping a calf. And Moses is going to come down, and Aaron's going to go, ah, poo, ah. <laughs> this is the same ones. So, like, don't separate. Di- they need Jesus, they need redemption. And God is gracious and patient. And you and I who look at this and go, Man, I cannot be like they they saw judgment pouring into their lives. They saw hardship and God's trying to like knock on their head and get their attention. Man, they're so foolish. Why don't they just bring their livestock inside? And you and I go and play in the little fields all day long. And people around us come and say, Hey, I, Craig, are you really like headed the right direction? I'm good, I'm fine. Think about it. The same people. And God, by his grace, says, you know what? I know your sin is real. I know your heart is desperate and it needs redemption and God is gracious to redeem and he will do that. And so when you look at the plagues and the story, yes, there's judgment on sin as there is for us. And God says, I want to redeem you in Christ. I can pull you out of that, and I will graciously pull you away from this world and sanctify you and set you apart and make you holy. Time and time again do we need this reminder that God is the only God we should worship and give our lives to. The same God of wrath and judgment doling out these plagues of sinful humanity is the same God whose love extends towards you and I at the cross. And your heels cannot be dug in at the cross. You have to hit your knees and your face to the ground and celebrate once again that Jesus Christ is the only source of hope in my life. Let's pray. I want to leave us with that, interestingly, based on what we talked about digging your heels on. Listen to this word in the last two verses in Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Have a blessed day. Stay safe from the weather and go in peace. You are sent.